I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a new month for your money and traditionally not a good one. Will August be any different this time around? We'll debate for the next move for your money with our investment committee today. And joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, John Nigerian, Megan Shoes, the head of investment strategy at the Wilmington Trust. We begin with a look at where we currently stand. Another new high for the NASDAQ. What else is new? Broken record is what it feels like. But now... A new month, and over the past decade, August is the worst for stocks. All right, Joe. Uh, Joe Terranova, you tell me first. What's going to be the determining factor this month for stocks? Well, Scott, I think we're going to need to see some performance, not just from growth, which significantly outperformed value, as you know, by 500 basis points in the past month. Uh, we are going to finally have to see energy and financials come around. And I know I am asking for a lot to see those sectors participate but to your comments at the top of the show about the month of August and the impact that it has, went back that we studied the last 10 years. And in the last 10 years, if you did go and purchase or enter the market at the low point in August, at the end of the year, in each instance, except 2018, you were rewarded for that. So I would actually be concerned if we don't see a correction, because that's exactly the setup in 2018. We never got the August correction and we set ourselves up for a really bad fall. So I'd like to see a little bit of a correction. I would also like to see financials and value and energy participate here. I think that's going to be important. But any type of correction, the history of the last decade tells you that's an opportunity to be a buyer thinking forward over the next three to six months. Steph, you agree with Joe? Do we need to see a value trade that, that works, um, even if it's financials, some of the other sectors, or if big tech continues its run, is that enough to carry the load again? Well, big tech is 26% of the S&P 500. It's the largest sector by far. If you have a look at energy and financials and industrials, that, that most is about 18% of the S&P 500. So, yeah, I'd like to see the participation because you know I have exposure there. But I think it's going to be economic data that drives this market. Vaccine progress, that's going to be very, very key. And then you're, you're also going to uh, deal with macro just in general around the world. Today I was pretty encouraged that we actually got decent PMIs around the world. We had an okay one. Uh, we had a better ISM with new orders up five points, which is huge. But I was also very encouraged about the M&A we're hearing about. This started with Warren Buffett three weeks ago when he bought the pipeline of Dominion Resources. And then it was also Uber. Um, with uh, Postmates. And now you had today Varian. I know everyone's talking about Microsoft. I think Varian is huge with Siemens. It's the largest healthcare deal uh, so far this year. And what that tells me is that CEOs are feeling a little bit more confident. Maybe not 100%. Maybe they're still worried about a lot of things. We all are. But they wouldn't be putting their money where their mouth is and making big acquisitions that they didn't see good values and opportunities. So I'm encouraged actually by today. So we get back to economic data actually mattering and as to where where the, the stock market goes, right? Because, I mean, yeah, the, the last month's jobs number was, was fine. We, we, we get that. But by and large, the economy is still struggling. The market hasn't cared, right? The market has been able to brush no, that right, off no, because no, yeah. of expected stimulus from Washington yeah. and, of course, the, the big kahuna, the Fed. 
Well, no, I mean, jobs is the real downer of the, of, of, the, of the environment right now. There is no question about it. But we've talked about there are pockets of actually economic data that's coming in, both macro and micro, like housing and like auto, like e-commerce retail sales. So there are still some pockets of the economy that are doing well, even in the face of bad job data. And I don't think Friday's number is going to be good by any means. It could be actually be a lot worse than expected. And I am watching initial claims. We talked about that last week. I'm going to look at the four-week moving average uh, to determine whether or not I push out my recovery mode. But I do think economic data is important. And if we to the degree that we actually see an improvement in some of these other areas, I think that will help pick up the slack for the job uh, disappointment. Megan, why are you underweight stocks still? Well, Scott, for a lot of the reasons that you're mentioning, the economic data is very much in question right now. We've had a nice bounce off of the bottom in terms of labor market data, retail sales. But at this point, so much of it depends on uh, congressional stimulus, which is still very much an open question, and a lot of the real-time data that we're looking at is pointing to, at best, a slowing or a plateauing of economic data, in some cases even a rolling over. So that's the big story for us. Earnings season is a reminder that the market is not identical to the economy, but at some point to get that broadening leadership, we do need to see small business, the labor market, all of these things picking back up. And we think that we're in for a choppy ride over the near term. So we get back to a connect, if you will, between the market performance and, and the economy, which has been largely disconnected. At some point, you're arguing, Megan, it has to matter. And you think as we get further down the road into the calendar year and closer to 2021, you're going to have to start to see some results? Absolutely, yes. I mean, we, we have the congressional stimulus package that's, that's being debated right now, and that has been a huge lift for the low-income consumers. And a lot of what we've seen from whether it's Apple's sales or autos, as Stephanie mentions, um, a lot of that is dependent on stimulus. So I'm uncomfortable with a market that is pricing in so much optimism and yet is reliant on policy at the, at the underpinnings longer term. I would say any correction you want to be thinking about adding, but in the near term for those clients who are, you know, for those of our clients who have cash on the sidelines, we're preaching patience and putting that new money to work. John Najarian, does the market succumb to this notion that there's too much concentration in big tech? We, we know what these stocks, the big five, if you will, have done. Their performance, right? Their performance <laughs> in July was outstanding. Their performance from the lows has been outstanding. You find any metric. And that's where the action is. We're talking about Apple on the cusp of a $2 trillion company. We're talking about Microsoft, perhaps, on the cusp of buying TikTok and becoming a bigger player in, in social media. Do we start worrying, really, about the concentration in tech? Well, only if we change it from a cap-weighted index, Scott, to a different form of index. Uh, because, quite frankly, that is where we are. Um, we are those top five stocks are there because of the success they've had from not being face to face, instead being remote operators, if you will. Um, and I don't see that changing, Scott. Um, on the other hand, I do see plenty. And I think Steph uh, did a nice job highlighting Varian with uh, Siemens. I mean, that is a huge deal. Also, the uh, the, the German uh, um, uh, economic numbers, as well as U.S., numbers today that implied that things are getting better. So um, when you say, for instance, uh, August and how is August going to be uh, broadly for the market, Apple's had a pretty good couple of Augusts. Yeah, last year it was only like 2 or 3%, but in 18 it was a 19% jump. 
um, in August. So when you're looking around at how uh, stocks broadly perform in August, that I'm sure your data is spot on, Scott. But as far as individual stocks in particular into a launch uh, for a company like Apple that put up these phenomenal numbers, yes, because people were buying a lot more Macs and everything else that Apple sells because of the shutdown, because of uh, remote working for their kids as well as themselves. That was manna from heaven from, for Apple. I think the phone will be more likely an October, November event because of COVID instead of the September 9th, like you and I would like to be out there, Scott, at the Moscone Center or out at the headquarters. But I think we are nonetheless going to get just phenomenal numbers from many of these tech stocks that continue to hit it. And quite frankly, this Microsoft TikTok deal, I think that's more defensive, Scott, than anything else. I don't know that that's a significant driver for Microsoft. I think that's a defensive deal, keeping it away from a competitor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what other competitor would would be, you know, in the offing. Certainly not, you know, no, no one's going to let Facebook. Not Facebook. Right. Not Facebook. But um, could Google, could Amazon, could uh, some of the media companies um, decide that they need to make a reach for something like this? Um, even Disney, perhaps, Scott, could some of those be interested in that 20 to 25 billion dollar range mm -hmm. that we've heard discussed for TikTok? I think that's a possibility. Possible. Um, Joe, I, I asked the question about, you know, this, this top-heavy tech and the reaction that it's had for the performance of the market. I, I ask it because Wall Street itself is discussing it. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley today says the current breath is unhealthy and unsustainable. Quoting, in short, we view the current skew between the COVID beneficiaries and laggards as an unhealthy sign and therefore unsustainable. We think the most likely outcome remains a 10% correction in the broader index led by the beneficiaries before the recovery and bull market continues. Are we going to get, you, you mentioned the possibility of a correction and the big cap tech names, Joe, are the ones that are going to lead that pullback? Yeah, very plausible, Scott. I mean, we went up six and a half percent over the last four and a half weeks. So certainly we could uh, have a relaxation in the overconcentration as it relates to mega cap technology. I also think it's growth. I think it's beyond just those big mega cap technology names. It is all the growth oriented names that investors seem to be gravitating towards uh, based on the fixed income environment where you have a 10 year treasury that's still pricing below 60 basis points. So, yes. I do believe that's very plausible. You could see that correction. I still think that correction would be an opportunity over a six to uh, nine month time frame. Uh, and I would be looking to take advantage of it, but certainly plausible. Yeah. Steph, UBS is wondering whether it's time to rotate and rebalance the portfolio <laughs> as you as you now get further in, into the summer. They say, well, we don't think tech is heading into bubble territory. We do recommend that those heavily invested in tech consider rebalancing into the following areas. They mentioned as their top one global stocks for some of the reasons that have been mentioned on the show, select value, select cyclicals, and then themes accelerated by COVID-19. We've obviously seen money flying into the, the theme stocks, if you will, of COVID-19. But what about that idea? Rebalancing a, a little bit, rotating a little bit, and trying to take advantage of some of these areas, even if some are outside the U.S.? 
Well, I would agree with that 100% because we have had a nice run. And as you very well know, I actually sold Facebook and I was trimming Amazon. And I regret trimming Amazon, not so much Facebook, but I was, I'm trying to be prudent um, and, and taking gains when I have them. But I still want exposure because we've talked about the total addressable market for the FANG plus Microsoft. By the way, they have all delivered such great numbers. And on average, revenues are up 30%, earnings up 20% for a group that trades in the mid-30s on multiples. So it's not exactly like they're super, extended yes on the charts but guess what's also happening earnings are actually going up so i think that that's attractive you still want to have exposure there i absolutely want to have cyclical exposure and you know i do and that's because i think we are eventually going to see a recovery once we get a vaccine uh, and, and we kind of get past this um lack of confidence if you will we're all we're all worried i think the, the market likes to, uh, to play a, a game of worrying on on, on all ki kinds of things but again i think if you believe that growth is going to get better in to next year and earnings are going to see a recovery, then you do want to own some economically sensitive stocks. And that does include international opportunities as well. What if the what if the situation, though, step with the virus just doesn't get any better for, for real anytime soon? I mean, yeah. let's not forget. Don't don't follow what the po politicians say. Follow what the, the medical people say. Right. You've got Dr. Gottlieb yeah, no, talking yeah, about yeah. the current state of the virus. Uh, Dr. Burks uh, talking about new phases of the virus. Um, it's not going away anytime soon. It might not. It, it might not. But guess what? We're going to learn to adjust. We're all going to be wearing masks. We're all wearing masks here, right? I mean, eventually Florida is going to have to go in all, and be wearing masks. And maybe you do have partial closures. And that is why I say watch initial claims. That's a leading indicator. And let's see what happens there. Maybe we have to push out the recovery, but I do think the recovery is coming. And when the recovery comes, that is when profits go higher. And I think that's what this market is telling you, normalizing earnings into next year. And again, the market as a whole is not extremely expensive. So there are certain pockets that are, but even these tech names, even these bellwethers aren't that extreme that you, that you really want to take out all of your money in this particular area. So I think there's still opportunity. I think you have to be patient. Yes, we could have some setbacks. Maybe that leads to Joe's 10% correction. I don't know. But I do think that that is the opportunity for the long term because we are going to see a recovery. We are going to get better profits Joe, at some do you, point. Do you, do you, Joe, think that these tech names are too expensive? I mean, I, I hear that conversation now more than ever at what is mostly, except for Amazon, 30 some odd times earnings, forward earnings. Are, are they too expensive now? I don't think valuation has mattered. I don't think valuation matters in the current environment. And I don't think valuation is going to matter going forward. I think what matters most is positioning and the concentration and over-concentration that investors have right now towards these mega cap technology names. I think at a certain point, there is an exacerbation of how much further can you gain exposure into these mega cap technology names. So Steph said uh, Joe's 10 percent correction. No, that's Mike Wilson's 10 percent correction. I am saying <laughs> there's a plausibility. I'm saying there's a plausibility to it. But let's also remember one thing, Scott, and, and, and I really think it's interesting. Yes, I agree with you. The virus can and probably will get worse. But there have been times over the last six months where we have witnessed that, and guess what's there to support us? The Federal Reserve. And clearly, last week in the press conference, Chairman Jay Powell signaled that he is there to do more if needed. And as a speculator, that gives you a certain degree of comfort surrounding what could be a very perilous situation related to the virus. You got some things you're buying, Joe. Tell me why you bought... Well, so first of all, you sold Dunkin' Brands, which we've made a big deal about oh, over... Absolutely. You, you sold Dunkin' Brands, and then you, you bought Starbucks. 
Yeah, listen, you gave me a hard time about Starbucks last week, and you're 100% right. I should have that day gotten out of Dunkin' Brands, not waited for the earnings report, and gone into Starbucks, especially because I'm sitting here, Scott, and I'm telling you, I think there's a cyclical recovery, not in the U.S., but outside of the U.S. So um, I was a little bit late in making that move, but I certainly, after listening to Dunkin's earnings, made the move in Starbucks, out of Dunkin'. Uh, and then I also got into some natural gas names, and I've been talking quite a bit about Stephen, uh, with Stephen Weiss offline about natural gas, the potential that natural gas provides. Overall, as an industry, Scott, they've been incredibly disciplined in terms of reducing production. So I bought two names. I bought EQT Corp. I did that last Wednesday. And I also bought CNX Resources also last Wednesday. <clears throat> in the case of CNX, they just took out the remaining part of CNX Midstream, they reported a lousy quarter, but the commentary from management is telling you that it's a disciplined environment focused on cash and the balance sheet. And ultimately, we are going to experience in 2021 in a, a moment where supply is actually going to fall to meet demand for natural gas. And we're beginning to see the early stages of that. So I think you have to be very patient with this trade. I'm introducing a trade we haven't talked about probably in many, many years. I think it's one component of the equity market that has not recovered. Oil, to a certain extent, has tried to recover. Natural gas hasn't even tried to recover. I'm stepping into these names on the belief that 2021 is going to be a very strong year for natural gas pricing. And these names, which are incredibly beaten down, will benefit. Last point on EQT and CNX, Scott, they're both higher for the year. So they've actually, because of their balance sheet, They've endured a negative natural gas, uh, gas pricing environment. I view that as favorable. That's strong relative performance. I always like that. I want to get into um, the internals of the market a little bit more in just a minute, but I want to get to John Nigerian. John, you bought ADT uh, stock and calls. This is on the Google News. Yes, sir. Um, because, uh, you know, ADT, not P, of course, as you know, Scott, um, this is the alarm company, <laughs> and Google's in this space. They're in it bigger now, obviously, with this $750 million investment. It's a $10 billion company right now, ADT is, Scott. And you got to think, you know, this is just a small bite for any of these folks and, you know, for any of the big five that we're talking about. And it's a logical expansion, I think, for them. So does this become, instead of, you know, a single-digit stock, it's obviously double digits today. It's been as high as, I think, 15 already, Scott. But does this become a $20 stock on a takeout or something like that? Maybe. I mean, you look at the 15 calls, 10,000 of those have traded today. The uh, 10 calls, very active as well. So I wanted to own some stock, write some of those fat calls against it, Scott, thinking that maybe uh, this expands Google's reach into our homes even more uh, than they have been in there recently. Yeah, and this is where the action is, right? We're talking about Google today. We're talking about Microsoft today. We've already talked about Apple today. Our next guest is talking about all of them today because he's looking at the breadth of the market and what it may be telling you in trying to make more money. He's one of the close, closest followed technicians on Wall Street. Jonathan Krinsky of Baycrest is back with us. Jonathan, it's good to have you back. Um, it's interesting you put forth today that, that, that it's a, this, this conversation about lopsided breath is actually a paradox for the market. Yeah, so it seems like we have the same conversation every time, Scott. But as, and the paradox we're talking about is that as these mega cap names continue to become a more dominant part of the market cap indices, 
the less that the weak breath actually matters. And, you know, we're at a point now where uh, Apple itself is equivalent to the bottom 55 stocks in the NASDAQ 100. If you talk about Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, they're equivalent to the bottom 87 stocks in the NASDAQ 100. And really what that means is that you can have situations where the majority of the market is negative, and as long as those stocks are up, the market cap indices will go higher. And so the paradox is that as that becomes a more dominant theme, it, the weak breath under the surface matters less. So when you talk about these breath divergences um, implying that the market's going to roll over, it actually makes it less likely that the market's going to roll over as long as those stocks uh, that we keep talking about continue to move higher. So yeah, I think the for, question is... For how long, though, right? They, that, that's the question I was thinking of. I mean, you, I, I totally understand what you're saying. But for how long? Like, that can't last forever, can it? Right, and we, and we have this conversation, you know, every week. I think, um, you know, coming into last week, our concern was that we had a bit of a, uh, a big run into earnings for some of the mega cap tech names, and there was the, the chance that there would be a sell-the-news event, and they actually did the opposite. Apple, uh, Facebook, Amazon, they all went up pretty pretty remarkably on their earnings. So I think you talked early, but earlier about the weak seasonals in August. I think one of the reasons that you have some of those weak seasonals is because of the setup we have now where uh, a lot of names report in late July, early August. You tend to see a run-up into the earnings. If they report good numbers, stocks, goes, stocks can go up, but then you're left with a, a now-what moment as you enter uh, the meat and the back half of August. So I think that probably is the, is the setup again this time. There's a lot of hype around Apple stock split. Maybe you continue to run into that. Um, but you have to recognize that you know, a name like Apple is about 50% above its 200-day moving average. That's about as, as extended as it tends to get. And now it's pushing towards a $2 trillion market cap. Again, to put that in perspective, the entire Russell 2000 is about $2 trillion in market cap. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be an either-or situation where um, if you see a sell-off in mega cap tech, that has to, the money has to go into another area of the market. But I do think some of the, um, some of the laggards that uh, some of your other guests talked about do still provide an opportunity. And then if we just talk about small caps in general, um, again, they've gone nowhere for two weeks. They've gone nowhere really for two years. Um, and there's a lot of, of actually technology and, and um, high beta names in there that I think can work. So I think small caps are, are an obvious rotation beneficiary as we push into August. I appreciate it. Uh, interesting thoughts. Jonathan, we'll talk to you again soon. That's Jonathan Krinsky of Baycrest joining us. Jonathan mentioned earnings. We do have a number of important earnings on the docket this week, more than 120 S&P companies setting to, set to report their numbers. Rahel Solomon checking out the big ones for us. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Yes, we also have one Dow component with Disney tomorrow. So it'll be interesting to hear how the reopening went for some of its Asian parks, along with any commentary about Disney World, which, of course, reopened last month on July 11th. Wednesday, we have Roku, which has outperformed the S&P by about 17% this year. We will see almost 19 percent. We'll see whether the company saw any big changes in average revenue per user, especially as people stayed home and streamed content. Square also reports on Wednesday that stock has more than doubled this year. And by the way, also hit another all time high today. The service has been grabbing attention as a disruptor to the more traditional banks, especially during lockdowns. And then Thursday, there is Uber. Ridership plummeted early on in the pandemic. But CEO Dara Rashahi has said on our air that Uber eats spikes when people stay at home, and so the two sides act as hedges. So details on how both sides did, Scott, will be of interest to investors on Thursday. Yeah, I look forward to it. Rahel, stay, stay with me if you would. Steph, which ones are you watching most closely? 
Oh, it'll definitely be Disney. I don't own it, but they're, you know, they're, they're a bellwether, obviously, for a lot of various different businesses. I think the theme parks are going to be really, really challenged. They're talking about not getting back to 19 profitability levels until 2023 kind of time frame. So I want to just get more color about that. Theaters is a big problem for them as well. Let's see about sports. Maybe that is a bright spot. And then Berkshire. Berkshire, I think, is the one that's going to be very interesting. It's a conglomerate. It's going to tell, he's going to tell us everything real time about what's going on in the economy. And I think that he's going to have, obviously, a lot of gloom and doom on some industries, but then maybe some bright spots in others. So waiting to hear about that one. It's going to be great. John, you have calls in Roku and Uber. And uh, I think I still have some square, too, Scott. Um, so, I, yeah, it's going to be a big week. Roku, um, I know Jim Labenthal has been just banging the table for this one and traded it very well. I'm hoping to coattail on Jim, quite frankly, Scott. But there's been big call buying in Roku, uh, pretty significant uh, uh, hedging in both Disney and Uber. So we'll have to see. People aren't betting on those exploding as much as they're betting on perhaps some outperformance out of Roku. Yeah. How about you, Joe? Uh, Square. I think, you know, it's a classic example of a growth name that has clearly performed uh, over the last eight weeks. I want to hear uh, from management and see those earnings and understand if the acceleration in trends that have pulled forward because of COVID-19 is something that is going to not only be present with us here in this quarter, but in future quarters. And if I'm able to gain that degree of confidence, even though it's trading here close to 135 and the valuation is rich, I probably would take a position in Square. I also would add, uh, for the very first time in many years for me personally, I'm very interested in what we will hear next Friday from Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett. There's just something about this environment uh, and Mr. Buffett as he operates in it that I, I really will enjoy hearing uh, the comments. Wow. Rahel, you hear that? You hear what I heard about Joe and Square taking a look and thinking about buying? I mean, this is one of those stocks that's just gone parabolic, right? I mean, the stock's up more than 100 percent year to date. Uh, you would think that raises the bar awfully, awfully high, Rahel, like some of these other companies that are in that same stratosphere. <laughs> Yeah, and yet FinTech has had a, an incredible year. Scott, there was a, a headline earlier this morning that Apple might be sort of positioning itself to compete directly with Square. You can see that's clearly not affecting the stock. Apparently, they, uh, they purchased a company that will allow you to use your phone to pay someone else. Perhaps you won't need Venmo, you won't need Square. That said, you can see the stock continues to soar. It's been a great year for FinTech, quite frankly. Joe, I mean, you're not deterred at all by the fact the stocks had already a huge move? And, and by the way, you, you're looking at you're, you're looking for a correction. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, I, I said I said Scott, a correction is plausible. You asked me about Mike Wilson, Mike Wilson. I said it's plausible. Am I coming into August positioning saying there's there's going to be a correction? No, I don't have the positions to suggest that. But obviously Square, not if you're thinking about um, buying Square. <laughs> uh, there is clearly an acceleration in trends as it relates to COVID-19 for many of these growth stocks. And we'll talk about some of these stocks later in the show. Um, but I will tell you that for many of them, they are seeing what is turning out to be a f years of forward revenue growth that is being pulled into 2020 in a matter of weeks and months. And I don't think that's something that you could easily dismiss I think it's something that's going to remain present with these companies. Right. And yes, the valuations that you mentioned before, which are astronomical, they're going to grow even more. Right. But that doesn't deter me from buying the stock. I hear no. you. Okay, good stuff. Rahel, thank you.
as always, Rahel Solomon with us. Bullish calls on the semis coming up. AMD and Qualcomm will tell you exactly what those are and what the trades are straight ahead. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. Let's get the headlines now with Sue Herrera. Hi, Sue. Hello, Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. A Virginia judge has lifted one injunction and issued another, barring the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond. The move allows 90 days for a lawsuit brought by Richmond property owners seeking to keep that monument where it is. In Colorado, four black girls were detained by police who mistakenly identified their vehicle as stolen. An eyewitness video shows the girls face down on the ground, at least two of them in handcuffs. The youngest girl is six years old. The Aurora Police Department has apologized to the family. Former Pope Benedict's health has reportedly taken a turn for the worse. His biographer told a German newspaper that Benedict now suffers from shingles and is seriously ill. The Vatican, however, says the former Pope's condition is not particularly worrying. You are up to date. That's the news update. Scott, back to you. Appreciate it, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. We have, as I said, bullish calls today on two semi-stocks. Bank of America says AMD is the next $100 billion semi. And Bernstein upgrades Qualcomm to outperform as those shares hit a new record high today. Steph, you own AMD. Yes, I do. I got a little lucky, bought it before the quarter, added to it after the quarter, though, too. They have a cost and performance advantage to Intel they have for several years. It's even going to get better for them because Intel's having a lot of struggles with getting the 7 nanometer out the door. And they actually pushed it out 12 months. This was when they reported earnings um, a week and a half ago. And so I think that um, the momentum is going to continue for AMD. They have great end markets in terms of gaming. um, And the Xbox is going to only help that in the second half of this year. They have data center exposure as well. They just raised their growth rate from 25% to 35% in this kind of environment. This is the kind of stock that I want. It seems defensible to me, especially with their number one competitor going by the wayside in the short term. Doc, I don't see AMD on your list. I don't see Qualcomm on your list. I see calls in LAM, in Micron, and in Taiwan Semi. Yeah, you're rubbing it in, Scott. Um, I wish I would (laughs) have listened to both Steve Weiss and myself and to Steph and purchased Qualcomm and, and AMD. I just and Jimmy Labenthal. He yeah. deserves credit. I give him so and much grief Labenthal. over some of the other things like Intel. He deserves credit on Qualcomm. Oh, yes, he does. Because 5G is going to be huge, Scott. And, yeah, I've traded in and out of some of the tower companies and things like that. But I don't have, a, a, absent Apple, I don't have enough exposure to 5G. And I really wanted it. But I just got distracted, Scott, and... Unfortunately, Qualcomm, I'd love to have it. Same thing with AMD, so I'm jealous of Steph. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that's what makes a market. I, I'll get a chance again, I'm sure. Probably not on dips, though. I'll just have to step up and take one. Yeah. Megan, um, as we said at the top, you're, you're underweight U.S. stocks. However, you like the chips. Yeah, no, we have we have a slight underweight to our benchmark to U.S. large cap, but technology and chips we still see as a driver for the market. I, I do think that there's probably a little bit of pull forward that we've seen in terms of demand amidst the pandemic. Uh, longer term, these big grower stocks really need to see quite a bit of consistent free cash flow generation to sustain the valuation that they are trading at at these levels. But longer term... Uh, 5G and the upcycle there is, a, is going to be a huge driver. 
Uh, the chip content in autos and auto demand has been improving. It is a long-term, uh, more attractive story, but clearly you're, you're paying up a little bit for that. Joe, do you not own any chip stocks? And if not, why? I don't have you on my list oh. for any of these names. Mm. You, nothing escapes you, does it? I thought I was going to get out of this uh, <laughs> conversation without you coming to me, but no. Nope. I, Scott, I sold the SMH about 119 back in October or, no, or November. So, you know, when I look at the absence of holdings that I have in semis and understand that I used to trade them so frequently in 18 and 19 and talk about them with Pete and Stephen Weiss, um, it's, it's an awful, awful performance by me not to have the exposure. I have the IEMG, which is an emerging market ETF. Uh, Taiwan Semi, obviously, is the biggest holding there. But I think Steph's in the right place as it relates to AMD. AMD has had uh, sales over the last four quarters of nearly 40%. That's in line with what you're going to get from NVIDIA. In fact, over the last four quarters, they've actually had a better sales growth story than NVIDIA. Um, on the semi-equipment side, Teradyne. I used to talk to you about that stock all the time. That stock's trading up around 90. Stephen Weiss has done a good job of talking about that one. That's a stock that I think will go above 100. But unfortunately, I don't own it. Brutal job on my part. No, I mean, it is what it is. I, I'm just curious as to what it no. would... No! You know, you, the, wait a second, Scott. You, you, you have every right to give me a hard time on this one because it's not, it's not as if we're talking about a component of the market that I don't visit. Uh, this is something that in 2019 I talked about frequently. I talked about trading around the SMH. And to completely miss a move from 120 to 165 in the SMH... That's not good. Let's call it what it is. That's poor performance. All right. You're horrible. What else do you want me to say? It's a terrible move. <laughs> no, I'm not horrible. I'm, I'm not horrible, but as it relates to that, that's pretty bad. It's garbage. I do some good things. You do, but I mean, if you want to continue to yes, beat yourself up on live television, things. be my guest. Hey, uh, on, sem <laughs> on semis, I sh on s no, no, no. On semis, I should. Absolutely. Okay. If you're going to talk that much about it in 2019, yep. And then when you actually get the performance, you don't own it? Come on. All right. There's okay. no credibility in not accepting uh, the embarrassment for that one. Understood. All right, Joe. Thank you for that. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today. But first, we show you the S&P sector heat map. S&P is up 25, three quarters of 1%. And a big programming note as well. On Wednesday, August 12th, join the CNBC Small Business Playbook Virtual Summit with Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg, Goldman Sachs's Margaret Anadu plus entrepreneurs Kevin O'Leary, Gary Vaynerchuk. It's all about providing small business owners with resources to survive today's crisis and provide a path forward to thrive tomorrow. Go to cnbcevents.com slash playbook to register. We're back. Let's get to Frank Holland now who has today's ETF edge. Frankie. Hey, Scott, what's going on? You know, tech's the start today, but consumer discretionary is not far behind. The sector was the S&P's biggest gainer last month, with the five largest consumer discretionary ETFs up pretty big from their March lows. The iBuy ETF up more than 3% today, for example. Of course, many of these funds have huge positions in Amazon, which is also near records. Right now, I'm joined by Jay Jacobs, the head of research and strategy at Global X, and Todd Rosenbluth, senior director of ETF and mutual fund research at CFRA. Jay, we're going to kick things off with you. Your thoughts on consumer discretionary and how to use ETFs to invest going forward when you're looking at names like L Brands, DR Horton and Whirlpool as the other drivers of this sector last month. 
This is one of the sectors that has been most upheaved by COVID-19. Obviously, as people have stayed at home, they haven't been able to go out and go shopping at some of these traditional brick-and-mortar stores. But beyond that, you see massive changes in consumer habits. People are shopping online for things that they never bought online before, like groceries or even vehicles. And people are changing what they spend money on. They're no longer buying uh, suits and button-down shirts. They're buying uh, leisure wear to wear at home as they work from home. So things are changing very quickly. And I think we're going to continue to see a lot of disruption in the space. We've seen 23 retail bankruptcies this year so far. And we've seen e-commerce names far outperform the brick-and-mortar names so far. So we're very bullish on the subsector of Internet retail. Jay, to your point, you mentioned the eBiz ETFs, one of your picks. Wayfair, one of the top holdings there, obviously having a great run since the pandemic began. Todd, we're going to switch things over to you. Your take on these moves and the long-term growth of consumer discretionary with the reopening happening really in starts and stops. Can ETFs be a safe place to put your money to capitalize on all this? Well, it depends what kind of ETF you're buying. So an ETF like FDIS, which is Fidelity's Consumer Discretionary ETF, has a 35% weighting in Amazon. So you really want to make sure you look inside the portfolio, make sure you're getting diversification. An equally weighted version of the S&P 500 Consumer Discretionary ETF, RCD, which is an Invesco ETF, it's significantly lagged behind. It has an equal weighting in those L Brands, Whirlpool, Pulte Group names you talked about as much as it has in Amazon. The downside is it also has roughly the same amount of exposure to Under Armour and Carnival, which is what's weighing it down. You can go more thematic and narrow and focus. The Home Builders ETF, XHB, the Spider Home Builders ETF, is a good way of playing some of those home building companies as well as Whirlpool. But again, you've got to make sure you understand what's inside the portfolio. Todd, thank you very much. I think you also mentioned the iBuy ETF with big stakes in Peloton and Carvana. Two stocks that kind of depend on us changing the way we buy things and the way we spend our money going forward. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us. And for more, please don't go away. Our live show starts at 1 p.m. Eastern time on ETFedge.cnbc.com. We're going to talk the top pandemic trades, navigating U.S.-China tensions, using ETFs, and much, much more. Don't miss it. Scott, now back over to you. We will not. Frank, thanks so much. That's Frank Collin for us today. DocuSign's at an all-time high today. The stock now up 200% this year. There are more upside from here. Our traders are ready to tackle that question and more in Ask Halftime, and you still have time to reach us as well. Go to CNBC.com slash halftime. You can tweet us. We're back in 30 seconds. Welcome back. As I said, we're going to answer your questions. Stephanie Link, you're up first. A lot of New Jersey wants to know about Boeing. Do I sell or do I wait for a vaccine? You could put a lot of stocks in this category under that question. What do you think about <laughs> BA? Yeah, that is a very good question. This is a reopened stock for sure. It's also a cyclical stock, so very volatile. And you have to expect, if you own this stock, you have to believe that the economy is going to see an improvement whenever that is. Is that later this year or is that into next year? I do. The liquidity is fine in the meantime. They raised $25 billion in debt. And then your next catalyst is going to be the 737 MAX and getting that recertified. I think that's coming in months, not weeks. Uh, so be patient, but I like it for the long term. Joe, you next. Rob in Springdale, Utah, wants to know about DocuSign. What do you think? Upside from here? Absolutely. And this is one I'm very proud of myself because I purchased this stock well below 100 and I've maintained the position, have not gone out. Uh, you, you've seen 40% revenue growth, Scott. 
This is a company that clearly is benefiting from the acceleration of trends, as I mentioned before. And just think about the e-signature world um, in the acceleration of these trends. Once you're able to migrate people over to e-signatures, they're not going back to uh, the previous way of paper signatures. So very strong as it relates to healthcare, mm -hmm. very strong as it relates to government. The street still doesn't believe where uh, this stock is trading. The average price target is 173. They're going to report on the other side of Labor Day, and I expect uh, nothing short of another strong quarter. I maintain my long position. You see, Joe, for every SMH, there's a DocuSign. Right? You can beat yourself up and then praise yourself within five minutes of the program. That's what this is all about. And then there's you to give me the pat on the back when I need it. That's right. Up 200% year to date. The pat on the back is coming right now. Joe Terranova. All right. Up next, John. Pete in New York City. No relation to your brother. I'm a longtime holder None. of Oracle. What's your opinion on it? Well, Pete, I am a holder of Oracle right now as well. I'm long the 55 calls, short the 60s out in August, and I'm long stock. Uh, this one has just languished there, Scott. When you look at the tech uh, stocks that have really outperformed this year, this one's just very non-volatile. Um, even on the drawdown, it wasn't as extreme as some of the others. But I'm holding out hope. Obviously, earnings out there way out in September, Scott. So I'm in here. And uh, I would hold on to it, Pete. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's just funny to hear you answer a question for Pete. All right. Megan Shu, yeah. to you <laughs> from uh, Jimmy in New York. Should I, how should I structure my value portfolio if I'm only 15 years old? That's awesome, Jimmy, that you're watching us and sending us a question, too, at just 15. Welcome. We're happy to have you. Yes, yeah, Scott, I totally agree. Um, and it's important to understand, especially if you have a long-term investment horizon, that value occurs along a gradient with the deepest value being the most levered balance sheets, the most tied to the cyclicality of the economy. For our part, where we prefer to be right now uh, is a little bit less deep value, a little bit more towards a balanced value portfolio, what I think of as more top shelf value. So not the junkiest of the junk, what those, you know, some of those epicenter pandemic stocks or those with the highest levered balance sheets. Um, but a little bit of a uh, better uh, balance sheet profile, as well as some technology exposure. There's a lot of stocks in the industrial and healthcare sector that might actually outgrow the value um, style over time because they are so tied to a lot of the technological advances that we're likely to see over the coming years. Okay, good stuff. Coming up, we have even more trades on the half, including John Nigerian's latest unusual activity, activity. We're back in two minutes. It is time now for the futures outlook. Check out all of the major indices are in the green to kick off the first trading day in August, which is typically, at least over the last decade, the worst month of the year. The rally today is being led by big tech. What else is new? The Nasdaq hitting a fresh record high. What else is new? For more on the market moves and how to trade it, let's bring in Jim Urio of TJM Services. And today you're looking at the broader market, the overall market. I am because, you know, those tech names represented the leadership and last week was a big, huge test for them and they seem to have passed the test. We, we got through earnings and they're still relatively strong. So I think as long as the market still has their leadership, that's a key component of this. So here's the trade. And this is available in both the E-minis and the E-micro uh, 
uh, S and P futures, if you know micros, if you want a little bit less exposure. But thirty-two eighty was a spot to buy it. I am long there with a target up at thirty-three thirty and a stop place below thirty-two fifty. There's something else that I found interesting today too. The dollar's been collapsing lower, and that's been good for pretty much everything that's denominated in dollars, particularly a lot of the stock market. Um, so. So when the dollar rallied today, like I think mostly the stock market wants a weak dollar, but occasionally they like to be reminded that that dollar weakness isn't out of control at all. So occasionally a little bit of an up move, I think, is good for it. And of course, there's the two remaining boring reasons of Fed involvement that's not going away and a government that continues spending. So I'm still a boring but relatively steadfast bull. All right. The trend continuing. Jim Urio, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. That's Jim Urio joining us today. Unusual activity plus final trades are straight ahead. John, unusual activity for me. What do you got? I got slack, Scott. Uh, symbol work, of course, W-O-R-K. Josh has talked about this one a lot. Um, and today we see the 14th of August expiration, 30 strike calls being bought almost with abandon, Scott. They started off early and they've kept at it just like Chicago voting, Scott. Um, they have kept at it throughout the session today. Now it's up over 30,000 contracts. I'll probably be in these about a week. Second trade, Scott. STM Micro, so a Swiss-based semiconductor play. This one's all the way out in October, however. They're buying the October 30 calls in this one for about $1.80, with the stock just under 30 bucks a share. So both these two stocks right around that level. Um, I'll be in these probably about a month, Scott. All right, good stuff. Megan, why don't you start us off with final trades Thank today? Great. We recently added a position to gold. It's had a phenomenal run, yes, but with yields, a 10-year at essentially half a percent, the opportunity cost of owning gold is very low, and it offers uh, an attractive dual optionality or hedge against both a risk-off as well as inflationary scenarios. Yeah, that's interesting. Gold's having a great, a great run. Stephanie Link, how about your final trade for me? So, you know, I'm the bull on auto. Active is a position I've been adding to it. It's an auto parts company, but it's really a technology play on connectivity in the car. That's a huge theme. Last quarter was fine, better than feared. They actually outgrew the market by a thousand basis points. This is a great company, good management team, solid balance sheet. Joe, are you loving or are you hating yourself? Which one is it for your final trade? <laughs> well, you know, Scott, I know, I know Jimmy Kramer hates the self-deprecation. He's told me that in the past. So just for Jimmy, I'm going to talk about a trade that's working well for myself and okay. for others, and that's Perkin Elmer. And I know Jimmy likes it. PKI, very strong, going even higher right. on COVID-19-related growth. All right, good stuff. John Najarian, what do you have? Microsoft, January 240 calls. They're buying a ton of them right now, yeah. Scott. We'll see if they're buying TikTok's U.S. operations. Guys, thank you. Great being with you. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.